0: Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Deeply Technical series.
1: Welcome to the Kodish podcast. This is Robert Blumen. I'm a DevOps engineer at Salesforce. I have with me today Giorgio Regni. Giorgio is the co-founder and CTO of Scality, a company in the software-defined storage space. Prior to Scality, Giorgio was co-founder and VP of engineering at Bizanga, where he developed anti-abuse software. Welcome, Giorgio.
0: Thank you, Robert.
1: We're going to be talking about hybrid cloud and multi-cloud. Let's start with some definitions.
0: What is public cloud? So public cloud is infrastructure that's available online, uh, that's not in your data center, it's not hosted by you, that uh, as an enterprise or user, you can rent uh, and pay as you go. That's what we call public cloud.
1: Something that's not on the cloud at all, where is it?
0: So customers may have their own uh, servers and typically they don't own the data center, so we're going to rent space in what we call a colo, colocation, uh, which is still a data center. But since they, it's their own machines or they rent the machines directly, uh, we're going to call it something else than public cloud.
1: So companies can own their own hardware or rent and lease space, and they've been doing that for a long time. Could you distinguish that from private cloud?
0: Yes, we we can. So, in terms of uh, the way that they're going to use the system, will dictate if it's just a private deployment or a private cloud. So, if they deploy a system that is meant to be used on demand by another department in the company or some other tenant, and resources are shared between uh, different entities, I think we'll call it a private cloud. Uh, if it's a, a single service uh, like email systems or uh, a very specific point application, we're not going to call it a cloud. It's a cloud because it's shared between multiple users.
1: What kind of software is necessary to transform a
0: bunch of servers that you own in your data center into a private cloud? So I see multiple scenarios. So it could be virtualization. So you, you could say that if you deploy VMware at scale, uh, you have your own private cloud. Uh, it can also be with something like OpenStack, uh, that you, you deploy on uh, bare metals and provide virtual machines uh, to your customers, internal customers. Or it could also be container-based with something like Kubernetes, for example.
1: So what these software layers do is they enable resources on the network to be re- requested or provisioned with an API, uh, and therefore shared without uh, going through, let's say, a department where you physically request somebody and they go and set up the server and give you the keys to it.
0: That's correct. And it also manages resources. So to, to give an example, we, we have our own uh, OpenStack cloud that we use for test at Skedity. And there's always 2000 VMs running but we don't have the CPU capacity to host 2,000 uh, VMs. So it manages intelligently uh, who use what resources and which VMs are off or on. And, and this is part of how to manage a cloud. And that's part of a cloud software. So you
1: mentioned OpenStack a couple of times for our listeners not familiar with that. Briefly
0: describe it. So OpenStack is a, is a set of uh, software that allows someone to build their own compute cloud Uh, that would be similar to a service like uh, AWS or Azure, uh, but deployed in a private fashion.
1: Okay, so we've talked about now the
0: private and public cloud. Let's get into hybrid cloud. So we see hybrid cloud is becoming more and more popular, and that's a combination of using the cloud and private infrastructure. Uh, As we first saw private cloud, It started as a way to uh, tier data into another system uh, that could be in the cloud. Uh, So I may keep something like 100 terabytes in my data center and all my backups and archives and all the extra capacity could go in the cloud. That's how we see it uh, at the beginning. Uh, And now we see more applications that are actually designed to be hybrid in, in the way that they function where they will benefit from the cloud and use uh, cloud resources on demand.
1: You're talking about a couple of different use cases. There are one of them being we do one f- set of functions on our own premises, and then we do something different like backup on the private cloud. Second case you mentioned, you're doing the same application is using both p- private and public cloud you give some more examples of that second use case?
0: Yep, I can give you some examples. So one is um, media companies uh, that produce their own content uh, may have a private cloud for storing all their assets and that's petabytes of uh, videos and audio and everything they want to keep. They may need to send data online in the public cloud to be able to share it. And so they built-in features so that they can talk to S3, talk to Azure Blob Storage uh, to share the data. And then they can also um, send it uh, and distribute it via CDNs. So that's one use case. So content, that, uh, content delivery networks sorry, in the cloud. Uh, there's also in media as well, a use case of uh, doing some processing in the cloud. Uh, for example, transcoding. So with all the devices that exist, iPad, iPhones, different resolution, different Android devices. Uh, You have to uh, transcode your video to be compatible and uh, performant with multiple devices. Uh, You may want to do that in the cloud. So you send your raw video files, you do all the transcoding in the cloud, and then you uh, retrieve the different files uh, that result from transcoding. What would be the thought process of why you would want to do the transcoding in the public cloud? Because it's a very bursty uh, kind of workload. You don't have to do it all the time. And you may not want to invest into the type of servers that can do that quickly. For example, in in MP4, there's a lot of acceleration that's possible. So you may not want to invest into this hardware if you're only going to use that from time to time. So then you can rent the compute resources in the cloud.
1: You're taking advantage of the cloud's pay-as-you-go pricing model rather than having servers that sit around with zero CPU for
0: 75% of the time. We see another use case similar with analytics, where you may not want to manage your own Hadoop system or Spark system, which are two uh, big data products. So you may want to export your logs, send some of your logs into the cloud, use services in the cloud that are dedicated to doing analysis, as opposed to maintaining or deploying your own system.
1: Let's go back to this use case where an the app, same application is using private, and public cloud. It's doing one task on private cloud and it's offloading some other task like transcoding onto public cloud. The reason you gave, or a reason could be burstiness. Are you seeing enterprises divide up the workload where they run a base load workload privately and they offload the variable part of the workload onto public cloud?
0: Yes, that's definitely something that we see. Uh, where you size a private system for the average uh, load, and you would use the cloud as a way to burst when you need. Let's
1: focus on this case where you have a bursty workload. I could see uh, architecture where you you know that it never goes below a minimum of a certain workload, so you would host that on private cloud, and then you would only do the workload Above that, the variable part on public cloud. Are there cases where you've seen that?
0: No, we 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 don't see cases uh, like that. For the same workload, having a private and a piece in the cloud, we don't really see that. Uh, in the case of transcoding, it's a completely different workload. The transcoding from uh, what would be done privately.
1: Okay, why wouldn't they just set up their own Hadoop cluster? Do they? Uh, is it due to the variable workload or the skill set or what? What's the thinking going on?
0: There's a big skill set gap into being able to uh, properly run a Hadoop cluster and make sure the data is safe and make sure you get the performance that uh, you you need, where if you start it in the cloud, you're going to benefit from the expertise of uh, the cloud provider. It's going to be a much more transparent process, and you don't have to worry about hardware or worry about scale. It will auto scale for you. That's a big big point. and also, the type of hardware you will need is, is a different than a typical server. So you may not want to have to manage multiple different types of servers and, and, and all the uniqueness of how to manage uh, a Hadoop cluster versus what you're used to managing.
1: A lot of businesses need to ensure they continue to operate even if they lose a data center. Is using the public cloud as your backup data center a popular use case?
0: Yes, I think it's becoming a popular use case. It also means that the application can run in the cloud. Otherwise, it's limited in its application. So we call it a DR when it's possible to resume service from the cloud. Because if it's just to store the backups, then it's not the same thing. You're only storing back- backups in the cloud. If you want to restore service, you need to retrieve your backups. And now we see customers who actually use application, that can also run in the cloud. So they do backups locally. they copied into the cloud. And then in the cloud, they have templates so that they can start the uh, virtual machines and the application in the cloud in case of um, any interruption of service in the main data center.
1: What does that mean? What is a template?
0: So depending on which um, compute platform they're going to use, uh, if it's on... For example, um, EKS and Kubernetes is going to be Kubernetes configuration. Uh, If it's on virtual machine, it could be Terraform templates. But they have a way to quickly start their application in the cloud.
1: I've got, okay, so you may uh, need 100 servers to run your application and six different databases and three message queues. You don't have to provision them until you realize that you need to fail over. So then you'd run your Terraform script and it would come up. Is that what you're describing?
0: Yes, absolutely. So you don't pay for any compute resource uh, until you need them in the cloud.
1: And uh, part of what I th- think you're talking about there is the variability between the two environments. You have essentially the same application, but all the endpoints are gonna be a bit different and the IP addresses and maybe the DNS. And so you need some kind of configuration that abstracts out the difference between your data center and the cloud you're running in.
0: Yes, and in terms of um, the service itself, uh, maybe access via a domain name, for example. So you also need a way to switch from uh, sending the data to your own data center and now pointing to the new instance in the cloud. So it's going to take things like maybe hours before you can resume the service in the cloud, which is already much better than having to download your backup Deploy new physical servers, and we install these servers, which we're talking about weeks uh, in the case of a physical system.
1: When public cloud started, it was pretty much a plain Linux server. Now you get these much higher value-added workloads like Hadoop clusters, Kubernetes clusters. Are you seeing more as these uh, more complex services are offered? Is the workload calculation shifting?
0: So we we see more and more services in the cloud and the catalogs of the cloud service provider keeps growing in terms of very targeted uh, pinpoint services. That's very interesting. Uh, in terms of what our customers do, uh, we don't see them using that many services. Uh, it's, uh, it's very targeted uh, on a per-use case basis.
1: So when cloud started, there was an idea that no one will put anything important on the cloud and then I see a certain amount of hype around everything will go to the cloud where are enterprises in terms of private, public and hybrid and is there a trend or have we settled into a kind of an equilibrium where it's a mix and it's always going to be
0: that way so what we see is very uh, it depends on the enterprise there's a kind of uh... Each enterprise has their own philosophy on on that one. And we don't try to change their mind. (laughs) So we do a storage platform for on-prem. So we're looking at people who are going to store on-prem. We see more and more people that are looking to do private uh, storage for their sensitive data. And not to say that that doesn't exist. uh, Customers who want to store private data or important data in the cloud. But we see more and more people wanting to take the data and put it back on prem for security reasons is one, but also for cost reasons.
1: So walk us through, what does a situation look like
0: where it's cheaper on prem? So typically, if you need to access your data often, it's gonna be cheaper on prem because the cloud charges you for capacity, but also for access. And the access charges can really add up quickly. So if you plan to really use your data, it makes more sense to uh, store it on-prem.
1: Okay, so so far we've gone through private cloud, public cloud, hybrid cloud. I'd like to introduce another buzzword here, multi-cloud. How is that different than what we've been talking about so far?
0: So the way that we define multi-cloud is when you're using more than one cloud, of course, but we see that in the context of multiple applications. So we don't really see one application using multiple clouds. We see an enterprise that has multiple applications making use of both private resources and cloud resources. And since each application wants to use the best, the best services, wherever it is, you end up using more than one cloud.
1: What you're describing, I would call it a best-of-breed strategy where you're saying Amazon has a great Hadoop cluster as a service google has a great kubernetes we will use the best of breed provider and i think you also said that what you're not seeing is let's hedge our bets by putting some data in amazon's s3 and some data in google's blob storage so that we can have these two cloud providers compete and we're not locked in you're saying you're not that's not really a driver
0: that's not really a driver. Uh, it is time, but it's not a primary driver. I would say that uh, it's more... Multi-cloud is being driven by different applications making the best of breed choice into uh, what cloud to use.
1: Would be fair to say that a competition in the, uh, between providers is moving toward competition for who can provide the best managed services?
0: Uh, I agree. A lot of competition now between cloud provider is uh, the quality and the different apps that they can run for you in the cloud.
1: Companies that are in some kind of a SaaS business or provide uh, an API and store data, does the customer care where which cloud the data is
0: on? So a lot of time, the customer care about the geography of where the data is stored. So which country uh, is it stored in uh, more than uh, which provider is actually giving you the the storage capacity. Uh, In Europe, we see a lot of uh, countries like Germany would like all the data to stay in Germany, for example. The demand is to know where the data is in terms of uh, location.
1: Are you seeing a lot of use of Terraform to manage these multiple backends?
0: So we see that in terms of uh, compute clusters uh, using Terraform to deploy the same uh, service across different clouds. Uh, We see that a lot. We also see Kubernetes being uh, used as well and deploying what we call hand chart directly. And we see that the market is going for something like Kubernetes to automate deployment in the future.
1: Okay, so how are enterprises using Kubernetes
0: in either hybrid or multi-cloud? So at this stage for us, uh, we have a product called Zenko that runs on top of Kubernetes. Uh, when we deploy it in production, we actually give our own Kubernetes distribution uh, that's for support and quality reasons. But when the customer wants to POC and to do a dev test and test our product, they will use one of our cloud-hosted Kubernetes. Uh, so EKS on in Amazon, uh, where they're going to not start their own cluster, but use one of the ones in the cloud, even GKE, uh, to do their own test.
1: If I understand that you have the ability to do testing on public cloud, but you'll operate your own cluster for production. Yes. And is this taking advantage of the more um, variable load on the test environment that you don't have to maintain a full test network? and have it be idle?
0: Yeah, so you don't have to maintain your own test network. You you don't have to um, deploy any new servers. Uh, And if you want to wrap up the test, it's just an API call and you can start another test after that. So that makes it very easy uh, to do testing.
1: So you have this networked environment that crosses organizational boundaries within the corporate network. You may have LDAP as your identity provider, How is identity managed in hybrid or multi-cloud?
0: So that's a very critical question. We've been uh, asked how to make sure that the same identity are being used, whether you're on-prem or in the cloud, a lot of times. Uh, One solution that uh, seems to be uh, used a lot is to uh, everything, whether it's public cloud or private cloud, uh, goes to a central authentication system. So typically in the case of Microsoft Active Directory, uh, you would configure your cloud identity to check in with your local Active Directories and you would configure a software like SKT Ring for storage or SKT Zenko for multi-cloud to also use the same uh, Active Directory servers. By doing that, now you have the same identity across different uh, local and distant public services.
1: So we did a show... Uh about the idea of a event-based architecture for data integration with something like a Kafka at the centerpiece. In architecture like that, and you have applications, some of which are in your private cloud, some of which are in one or more of multi-clouds. Where does the central service, when I guess you could say the same thing about logging services, where do these central aggregating services sit?
0: So I can talk about our use case. I cannot really comment in general. But in our case for storage, uh, the customer always decides which is its main core data center. It could be in the cloud or it could be on-prem, but there's a core site. And then the other sites are considered more edge locations. So in the case of um, private deployment of multiple petabytes of data, uh, let's call it the core storage. Then that storage will do the main logging. We'll have uh, the Active Directory for authentication. We also have the Kafka queues for events. And they're going to be closer to the core site.
1: You're trying to minimize latency or the cost of moving data around. You put the storage close to where most of the traffic is.
0: Yes. And a lot of these services like Kafka and others, they're not meant to be uh, geo-distributed across uh, large latencies uh, so it's better to have a main site and everybody subscribes to the main site
1: great well Giorgio, it's been a pleasure speaking to you thank you very much for appearing
0: on Kodish. thank you robert it was a pleasure to talk with you thanks for joining us for this episode of the codish podcast codish is produced by heroku the easiest way to deploy manage and scale your applications in the cloud If you'd like to learn more about Kodish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.